Hi, everybody, and welcome to another season and another episode <laughs> of Journeys to Belonging. Uh, on the podcast today, I'm so excited to welcome this episode's guest, Jim Thompson. Jim and I connected on Twitter last year, but as those of you who are subscribers to my podcast or follow me on social media know, I've been busy doing my grandma-ing, so I paused my podcast. Uh, Jim might not know this, but we have several things in common, and being a grandparent is definitely one of them. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Well, I am delighted, Eileen. I, I am reporting from outside of Rochester, New York, where it's going to maybe hit 80 today, which is uncharacteristic. <laughs> in it April, is, wow. In April, this does not happen in Rochester, uh, <laughs> but we have a 5% chance of a tornado uh, later today. So this is not the typical day in April, early April for Rochester. I know you know Western New York, so I, I bet mm -hmm. you, right? Yes. And, but I, I took a look from the, I think the temperature where you're hailing from, it's almost 90 degrees out there. Is it warm? Yes, it actually got warmer today. It's been in the uh, in the 70s, mid 70s for about a week or two now. And uh, it's been lovely, but it looks like uh, summer has arrived, although it's still spring here. But uh, yeah, so it will get up to 85 or 90 for a couple of weeks. And then in May, the sky is the limit here. So, but Jim, I, I really didn't say much of anything about you, just how we met. So I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Well, first of all, oh, thank you so much. Eileen, I, I am so grateful. I am so grateful for the, your friendship. Uh, so inspired Same. by your work, especially in this so important field of what is belonging? What does a sense of belonging look like? And and, and I, this is a who for me to be uh, having a conversation <laughs> with uh, with with a wonderful lady who who's who, who spent a life to, a real purpose driven life. Uh, I love your book. I, I bought your new book. I, I commend it to people out there. It is it is powerful. I want to try to intersperse some things uh, in it. Uh, uh, throughout what, what we're doing, but um, yeah, I, I, I thank you so much. Well, just a short bio, I guess. First and foremost, I'm a grandpa. Uh, in fact, my grandson is right in the other room. He's they have no school this week in Western New York, so pre-K, so he's over there. If he makes an impromptu, uh, <laughs> welcome to him. How old is he? Uh, he he'll be five in June. So. Okay. And you get we both get we're both grandparents and that's yep. a wonderful a, a wonderful group. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I guess I got to talk just quickly. First and foremost, I, I'm so proud of my teaching background. Uh, I, my I taught started teaching 50 years ago, five all September 72 wow. at seven, eighth and 12th grade social studies. Mm -hmm. I had no mentors. There was uh, no coaching. They gave you the keys to the room and they told you, don't send too many kids to the office. That was, <laughs> that was kind of, okay. It was very Darwinian um, type of thing. Um, but I, I taught seventh, eighth and 12th grade social studies. Then uh, for six years down in the Hudson Valley, I got recruited to suburban district outside of Syracuse where I taught sixth, seventh and eighth grade social studies and reading. I had never taught reading before, I mean. Oh. Um, and so they had 10 reading groups in the sixth grade. And guess who they gave the lowest reading group to? 
the guy without any reading background. Okay, oh, so used to be a social studies teacher. So I quickly went to the reading teacher, talk about a sense of honesty. I need you. I need some help. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then they, they closed the middle school and they shuffled things around. And I became almost overnight after three years an elementary teacher, sixth grade, self-contained. I didn't know what, what I was doing. We had, um, I, I was used to teaching 40 minute blocks in the secondary area. And they had this thing in the afternoon called a language arch block, which I had never heard of, but now I'm a sixth grade self. And so we came back from lunch and I did my language arts thing. I said, okay, we're done now. And um, one of the girls raised her hand and says, Mr. Thompson, we still have an hour left in our block. Oh, of course we do. No, no problem. I knew that. <laughs> I go, oh, okay. But I, I made a conversion on the road to Damascus then. I really converted to the elementary school, became then an assistant principal, and then a principal outside of Rochester. It was my daughter's elementary principal. Um, then I got into this, uh, a bunch of college teaching and everything, and we started looking at this thing called uh, learning and instruction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to what degree as a principal was I helping people, teachers, become better versions of themselves? and really helping them to uh, help kids. And, you know, I had these evaluations I'd write up and the teachers would come in kind of nervous because it's their evaluation. I try to be kind and affirmative. But at the end of each one, we said, they said, phew, thank God it's over with till next year. You know, it was a Neil Simon moment, same time next year. And you know, it's, it's not me, right? And so we started looking at this idea of how we, how we invite people on a journey uh, to really help them become better versions of themselves. And we got into work at Jim Knight and others with uh, video reflection and partnership coaching. And so that's kind of where I'm dwelling. And, and, and of late, especially since the pandemic, really taking a look at, at, at your wheelhouse uh, in a deeper sense. What is this idea of belonging? What are What does a sense of belonging look like? Uh, Doug Lamoff's wonderful new book, Reconnect, he talks about gestures of belonging mm -hmm. um what does it look like what does it feel like why is it important why we talk about a learning gap all the time but if we don't pay attention to maslow how do we get to bloom and and so that's the long and short of it and um that's my story and i'm sticking to it <laughs> well it's quite an illustrious career i also will mention to our listeners that i read that in uh uh, 1990s, uh, you also uh, won the, I think, the state, the New York State Award, Principal Award, which, uh, congratulations, and I think the year after, another award for, for being an administrator, so uh, that's pretty awesome in, um, in, in the whole state, so I'm sure you have had over the years uh, a terrific impact based on your own perhaps your own experience. But this, uh, the last thing you talked about, the, the, uh, the whole idea about belonging and how much you've begun to focus on it is a great segue into my first question I always ask my guests, which is, if I say the word belonging to you or feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing that comes to mind, Jim? That is a wonderful question. And as I think back to it, it's when I was in grade school. Mm -hmm. And being, heading being a belong, uh, uh, being belonging to something or not, uh, being chosen for a sports team or not, being invited to a birthday party or not, being invited to a friendship circle or not. And, and this kind of extended through life, boy, you know, 
You know when you've got that feeling of belonging and boy, you know when you don't. And, and how that impacts you as a person, mm-hmm. how that impacts you as a person. And then how does, what does that do? What does that do to how you feel the need to extend a sense of belonging? You know, Doug Lamoff, again, in this book, said the, the real benefit in expressing gratitude and expressing a sense of belonging is really to the center is the person giving that because it comes back to you in a a good feeling, Mm -hmm. in a feeling that uh, we're we're really part of something important and something worthy. And I I don't know, I think that's kind of what life should be about, being part of something important, being something worthy and and fostering, nurturing and, and celebrating that. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And, and it, it brings to mind the whole idea of uh, how, when we talk, when you're talking about gratitude and the feeling that you get back as a result and gratitude is definitely a part of this whole idea of um, centering, um, centering, not just yourself, but others and also feeling blessed, which, you know, gives, makes you feel calmer, restores your, your sense of confidence and, uh, your, your sense of well-being. Um, and so all of that is just so important. Um, and I haven't heard of uh, Gra- uh, Doug's uh, book, so I am definitely going to put that in the show notes and, uh, and add it to my reading list. Um, my next question, Jim, is uh, particularly about you. So you mentioned in your bio, you've had a long career in education as a teacher, administrator, and an instructional coach. And so I'd love for you to take my listeners on your professional journey and highlight some of your favorite moments or memories. Great question. You know, um, life is a journey. It's not a destination. Mm -hmm. And and the joy is in the journey. The joy is in the journey. I think, you know, I, if we're talking about that is the early years of my teaching. I, you know, I did not learn how to teach in teacher's college. I mean, my, my colleague, Dr. Casey Kazorik, who I want to make sure I mention, he was my last assistant principal. He's a superintendent now, a wonderful man. Wow. Uh, we co-authored our book, A Quick Guide to Instructional Coaching. Um, you know, we talked about that journey. We talked about that journey of, of, of the power of a teacher. You know, we all know what our, who our favorite teacher was, you know? And, and, you. And, I, and I think those moments where you had a great lesson or a kid came up to you that was your student a couple years ago and said, you know, I really, well, you were a great teacher. Or now on Facebook, I've got people who are 60 years old and, and I was their seventh grade social studies teacher. Wow. Uh, you know, it's, um, I think those, those are important things about, about teacher is to really, that we, we, we impact people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I think by impacting people's lives, we, we impact our own. Um, and, and, and then when I became a principal, I, be, I intentionally became a principal in a small district. So we had a say, you get in a large district, it's pretty much top down. And so partnering with teachers um, and, and, and wonderful journeys, like, uh, okay, you know, they said to me, Jimmy, what are your big goals as a principal? I said, well, the, the first one is to make sure that children and everyone in the schoolhouse are safe and cared for. 
But the second most important journey, the most important goal for me, and here it is, is what is the most effective early intervention for our most at-risk readers? Because I found out as an elementary teacher and as an assistant principal, once kids got in the third, fourth, fifth grade, and they were way behind in reading, I mean, we worked hard, but it just what the success rate wasn't there, right? That's right. Yeah, the gaps, the gaps just get bigger and bigger instead of smaller and smaller. It is true. And, and you know, so I, I would kind of work on that and set, set a climate. I think a principle sets the climate. Mm -hmm. I think this sense of hopefully a sense of belonging and of celebration and of the first person. I remember a little bit from my Latin. I took four years of Latin. Don't ask me too much, but I remember first person plural is we, is mm -hmm. we. In, in that, that first person plural and, and what is it building a sense of community look like right. and how are we doing how are we doing on this idea of community uh and kind of constantly testing that saying saying how are we doing and later on as a college professor i i, I had a chance to uh, to uh, over 15 years so for the first part of my college career is to uh, teach a lot of people who are going to be principals and superintendents Wow. And, and, you know, we had, you know, I gave him advice like this. It was, you know, old school advice, especially evaluating teachers. Mm -hmm. just don't do this. Don't get them in, get them to smile, get them to sign and get them to leave. Because sometimes life happens like that and you're doing no good. And we always mm -hmm. talked about, I said, my mirror, mirror on the wall was, uh, is it best for kids? Mm -hmm. but we can talk forever but at the end of the day is it best for kids and if it's not then we need to do something and if it is best for kids then let's figure out a plan to do that and then this idea this coaching piece where I you know I I think if you really want to get better at something you need a coach um, when we wrote our book Eileen this is what we found out most teachers said, not all, but most said they did not learn how to teach in teacher's college. Mm. We then asked them on a scale of one to 10, how, how valuable was your student teaching on a scale mm. one to 10? It was all over the place. Wow. Four, three, eight, nine, all over. Mm. Okay, on a scale of one to 10, how was, what's the quality of the mentor you were given when you first got your real job? All over the place. Some people said we got some somebody who was not the teacher of the year, but high in seniority. And the mm -hmm. union said you need you you must appoint that person as your mentor because they're going to retire. Some people got the teacher of the year. And then I said, and people laughed at this next question. I said, now how much rehearsal time did you get before you went live? Like. In, in baseball, we have a lot of rehearsals and practices and coaches video you. Symphony orchestra, I talk to conductors and they do a lot of re intense rehearsal mm -hmm. and a lot of feedback before you go with an audience. Right. And they, and they said, Jimmy, are you, what's wrong with you? Rehearsal before we go live? I mean, none. Not, and so then we gave them the fun question. And of course you do not get evaluated by the same instrument of the, the teacher of the year is being evaluated right well of course we do of course we do now Eileen, would you send your child to a brain surgeon who had a uh, who had a training where they didn't learn how to do brain surgery where their practice experiences 
varied widely on a scale one to 10, where their mentorship quality varied widely on a scale one to 10 and had no rehearsals prior to going live on your, on your child. Would you? No. <laughs> so what's wrong about all this? Absolutely. Because nobody's looked at it that way. That's the problem. Nobody's looked at it the way that you just talked about it, Jim. Um, you know, it's it's go into that classroom. It's almost like you're a natural. You can you know you can teach all that. Um, you know you know you know English, so you can teach it English at a foreign school. Um, it's it's the same kind of thing. Um, but wow, I, I love how you took that question and um, and made it into a teaching moment. <laughs> so. <laughs> It was, that was terrific. I don't know. And if you still have more you wanted to say about that, uh, please continue. Don't let me interrupt you. Yeah, I, you know, so I, you know, I'm trying to tell people I'm 73. I'm going to be 74. So they can't fire me. I'm trying to try to shout out the emperor's not wearing any clothes, guys. The emperor's <laughs> not wearing any clothes. I wrote an article a couple years ago for a think tank in Minnesota, and it was called something ain't right. Mm -hmm. Something ain't right. And it isn't right. If, yeah. if our intentionality is to help teachers become better versions of ourselves. Yeah. Of themselves. Because if we don't, then that Langston Hughes poem, Harlem, haunts me. Mm -hmm. What what is a dream deferred? A dream deferred shrivels up like a raisin in the sun. So if we don't help teachers become all they could be uh, to advance student learning, then how many dreams are we deferring with our students? Yeah, and our teachers, perhaps our te why they're burned out and so many are leaving or, or certainly a, a, a reason for that. Um, I also loved how you started off by saying, you know, creating that sense of safety, which is also really important um, in feeling a sense of belonging and also the sense of community and um, how the leadership, the instructional leadership creates that climate in the building and that's so important. So even when we're talking about teachers and I know uh, that you've said that you're now um, coaching administrators, which is just so important because you get to reflect back on your years of experiences, both good and bad. And you know we don't often have that habit of reflection but you've used it to be able to say, you know, I've learned from my experiences and this is the value of them I want to you know, sort of uh, to hand them over to, to others and, um, and let them take it further. Uh, and that, that is, you know, your part of your legacy, I believe, is, is being able to do that for them and having that effect then, that trickle down effect to their students. It's wonderful. And so I wanted you to talk about the book. So the next question is about the book. You, you co-authored, as you mentioned, uh, A Quick Guide to Video Coaching. And so I'd love to know what was your motivation for writing it? What is the benefit to the educator who reads it? And first of all, what is video coaching? <laughs> well, you know, 12 years ago, Eileen, if you walked up to a teacher and said, you know what, would you do me a big favor? Would you video some of your instruction and share it with me? Mm -hmm. You got answers like the chances of, life of that are slim to none, and slim was <laughs> just left town. Okay? I says, do what with what? 
Mm -hmm. No way, Jose, in 47 font. I mean, so people, you know, and rightly so, Eileen, because mm -hmm. unfortunately, models of coaching 20, 30 years ago, sometimes less, that if you had a coach in your room, it, it said to everybody that you sucked. And, mm -hmm. and, and the coach was there to fix you. Uh, they didn't want to hear from you on what your problems were. They didn't want to hear teacher voice. They were there to fix you because you were doing wrong. Now, how do you think that worked out? How do you think that worked out? It, it, it didn't. And so when we talked about coaching and video, we had to kind of listen, mm -hmm. you know, our way to people's strong reservations. But, you know, little by little, you get a couple of, of, of trailblazers, some volunteers, and you said, you know, I'll buy it. You tell me what coffee you want to bring. I'm going to bring your best coffee. I'll bring a latte. I'll even go to Starbucks. I'll spring for Starbucks, okay? I got a small budget, but I'll spring for Starbucks. Right. If you would just video eight minutes, just and don't you don't have to show me the video. Just video eight minutes. We call it the eight-minute challenge. Mm -hmm. And you look at it. You just look at it. And then can you identify one goal? One goal that you'd like to, you, not me, but you'd like mm -hmm. to work on. And so little by little, we got teachers doing that. And, and the only problem we got from that, Eileen, is that mm -hmm. uh, people found about 47 goals that they wanted to work on. Oh, my ah. God. Oh, my God. I need therapy, Jim. I mean, I, you know, I just don't worry about it. Let's, let's choose one. Let's go low-hanging fruit. Uh, a, a big piece of low-hanging fruit when you first video is that um, I, I talk more than the kids. Um, I'm tired at the end of 40 minutes. They're not. Um, I answer my own questions. I mean, things mm -hmm. like easy, sure. fun stuff to coach. So we, we finally, we, we got more and more folks doing this. And then they finally started opening up and they saying, well, this is, this has been a lot more profound and a lot more value to us than our current evaluation system. And again, I'm saying this as a former principal, so I'm not trashing mm -hmm. principles. I, I revere the principalship, but versus a principal coming in and evaluating us and then writing up and say, this is what I saw. Now, now you're, you're saying, okay, I, the teacher, can see what I'm doing or not doing. And right. then all our work was confidential and non-evaluative. So once people trust you, you know, and the defenses go down, people are pretty tough on themselves. And so I think it's the coach to kind of be more uplifting and, and to find well, what are the positives? That's a great piece of your book. You know, uh, but Eileen, Eileen, what a way to find identify your superpowers as a teacher mm -hmm. through video, through video. Oh my God, I'm doing. I did not know I was doing this, and all these these kids who were quiet and silent are now being active in the class. How did I do that? I mean, what a great way to affirm uh, oh, what yes. we're doing. So you know, I and. and Again, how do we help become better versions of ourselves? People ask me why you should coach. I think there's two reasons. Number one, to advance student learning. Sure. But I think the bigger reason that in this journey, in this partnership, in this partnership together, we all become better versions of ourselves. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and it's a, I, hopefully that's a life journey. Yeah, a, and, we, and we learn to appreciate the things that we're doing, right? That we didn't know that we were doing. So instead of walking sitting at the end of the day and going all these things because you know the human nature is to just focus on the negative so instead of doing that it's like oh wow 
this really felt good today. That lesson, you know, maybe it didn't go entirely as I supposed, but then the direction it took was really awesome. You know, we begin to celebrate those moments. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and, and, and and as you say, you know, a big problem in the United States, I know you know well of it, is, mm -hmm. is trying to get people to go into teaching. And then once they go into teaching, retaining them. Yes. And, 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 and if for nothing else, why shouldn't districts say, okay, it, it, part of our program when we hire you is you're going you're gonna to partner with a trained video instructional coach and it's going to be totally confidential and mm -hmm. totally non-evaluative. You know? That's the key piece. The fact that it's non-evaluative because a coach doesn't do that kind of evaluation. They reflect and help the person see the things that they need to work on in order for them to get a good evaluation when they do the evaluation, right? Um, so, yeah. 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 So the, the book is, is how, how does the book work? Does it sort of introduce video coaching and take you through that? Yeah, we, we kind of talk about our journey and we talk mm -hmm. about like the secret sauce. We, we borrow, you know, you, 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 when we first started this 12, 13 years ago, both the coach, we started out with the coach and the teacher both looking at the video and that was a little intimidating. Mm -hmm. And so we, we looked at the research from Harvard, <clears throat> Harvard's best foot forward research, which said, if you want to take the scary out of starting with video and you really want to send an invitation um, then have the folks take, and what they use the term, take a selfie. So mm -hmm. in, in other words, video something uh, of their practice and they don't have to share it with anybody. They are the only ones that look at it and they identify, and now we use Jim Knight's work, they identify a goal important to them, not to me, right. important to them to work on, which would also advance student learning. And then they partner with a peer coach. They partner with a peer coach who's been trained and um, the, they, they, work, they, they meet with the coach and the coach asks questions like this. It's real easy questions. Okay, tell me more about your goal. Why'd you choose it? Uh, how do you think it's gonna advance student learning? Uh, and again, then uh, again, borrowing from Jim Knight to scales questions, which are brilliant because they're simple but powerful. On a scale of one to 10, where are you right now with the goal? Where are you? Okay, what would a 10 look like? And, and, and then the big question, because we want to evolve the goals to become more and more student-centered, more and more right. student-centered, more learning-centered. What would the students be doing differently if it were a 10? Whoa, whoa. Now we're off to the races. And yes. Now here's this one piece that I think in the United States we're kind of lacking. This is personal now, personal mm -hmm. opinion. The next piece is asking the teacher, what instructional strategies do you have in your repertoire right now that you think can help you get there? And we, and we share, and then the coach needs to share. I, it, I think we need to do a lot more with helping teachers with uh, adding to their repertoire of instructional strategies. Yes. Uh, not that one's always works well, but mm -hmm. I had, uh, I had the, the honor of working with John Safier many years ago, and he talked about repertoire and match, that we need to ex constantly expand our yes. repertoire of strategies. And then as things come up into a lesson, what's the best match for that moment? Uh, that's why I really like Doug Lamoff's work, uh, Teach Like a Champion 3.0, mm -hmm. uh, Teach Your Head, and uh, more and more opportunities. So here are a variety of strategies. You don't have to use them. 
quick, easy, simple thing, which I share with mm -hmm. people. Yes. Really, this was a, a real easy thing that I shared. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people use turn and talk, turn and talk. That's like right. turn and talk. I said, okay, all right. Um, how about adding one element to it? Mm -hmm. uh, two elements. Think, write, turn, talk. Well, I'm, I want them to write down before they share. Mm -hmm. And you have time to think and, and mull it over a bit. Sure. Yes. And then the teacher can walk around and say, oh, my God, we're not sharing nothing. Because they're not getting it. Who's yes. totally learned? Or Jimmy Thompson over here, who's not said a word, he, he, he is going out of the box mm -hmm. with this inference. And I want him to share that with the group because it's kind of sparkles. And, and so a teacher can do that formative assessment and then make decisions. And, and then also, then when you share, everybody's got something to share. Versus yeah. Jimmy Thompson, who played the game in school. Oh, I love this turn and talk. I'm not going to say a word. I love it. I'm, I'm going to work with Sadie, and uh, and she'll just talk to me, and I'll say, this is good, this is good. You know, I love it. You know, uh, you know, little things like that. So I think th those are the kind of things. But, the you know, uh, I, I guess I got to look at two icons out there. Ted Lasso. I don't know if you watch Ted Lasso, but he's on. No, but I've heard about it, yes. And, 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 you know, I think you got to always stay humble and kind. I think uh, you got to be, uh, that, that's Ted, Tim McGraw, humble and kind. And Ted Lasso, be curious, not judgmental. So we try to thread that through our book to, to be humble and kind. Partnership starts out with how I show up to this partnership. Am I going to be the first listener? And, and am I, am I going to listen with empathy? Am, am, I, am mm -hmm. I going to try to, and am I going to really look like I'm listening? I think mm -hmm. that's kind of important. Like, oh yeah, I'm listening. Yeah, I'm listening. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, that type of thing. Yeah. And, and to be curious, not judgmental. we got to stay curious. Right. Uh, if we're looking at a video, we're having a curious, I don't think the coach should be jumping in with advice. I, I think we should be listening. We'll say more. Michael Bungay Stanye in the, yeah. what a book, great book, The Coaching Habit. And he says, stay curious longer. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what part of what we need to do to really, I think, foster gratitude with the teacher and a sense of belonging. This yeah. sense of belonging. Uh, Lamont said there are three DNA strands that come out of gratitude mm -hmm. and they are selflessness. Uh, generosity and altruism and those feed this idea of sense of belonging and the more as a coach that we can be authentically mm -hmm. present ourselves right with generosity with altruism with selflessness like you say in the book you modeling modeling what this looks like absolutely it, it, yes you know it, it's so important so I, more and more teachers say this is good stuff. It's been transformational. Um, wow. and, and, and so I, I'm just, I'm privileged to be on this train, you know? I'm Wonderful. Yeah, this is, this is terrific. Um, you know, it, it makes so, so many connections for me because first of all, um, you know, you, you talk about the teacher's role and the teacher coach or the administrator's role and administrator coach, but at the end, you talked about the importance of the coach being able to 
create that environment of trust uh, because I, as the you know trainee or the coachee, I'm going to be going to have to be quite vulnerable about pointing things out um, or talking about the things that I need help with. And that's not easy to admit, you know? So I'm not going to do that to someone who I know is either going to judge me or over advise me or tell me what to do when it's something that I'm not able to do, right? On my own. I, I know what's best for me. And then what you're doing in that relationship is modeling what the teacher can be doing in the classroom with their students. The same kind of especially extra listening, um, establishing that trust and those relationships. And it takes time, but you know, not everybody can be a coach and not everybody can be a teacher, but the coaching part is really, really important. So having just somebody appointed and in, in because they have seniority sometimes works, but oftentimes it doesn't. Uh, especially if the coach isn't taken through some kind of training uh, themselves. So yeah, really, really, really important stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I will definitely add the book, uh, the link to the book um, to the show notes. So the, 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 one of the last questions I'm going to ask you, though, is um, you, you mentioned in your bio and in your introduction about being a grandfather. I know something that's, that's really important to you. Um, and you mentioned it before being an educator. So I was wondering why is being a grandpa so important to you? And uh, what have you learned in the process? Because I know I've only been a grandparent for six months, but I've learned an awful lot, which I've promised my listeners I will talk about and I will start talking about soon. But I want to hear about your grandparenting journey with your five-year-old grandson. Eileen, you earlier mentioned the idea of blessings. Yeah. I, without getting too crazy here, because I am what I am at 73, <laughs> I think it is God's blessing to us to become a grandparent. Sure uh, is. I really do. Um, I mean, I've got a, a very active boy. <laughs> not far from there. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, but it is... Um, it is kind of that idea where you give gratitude. Martin Seligman said in his work, and I love Seligman's work, he said, well, every day we got to write down three things that we're grateful for. And I am grateful mm -hmm. for being the grandpa to James Joseph. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, 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 you know, it's, it's that feeling of, of, of thanks, of gratitude. Uh, I talk about a sense of belonging. I mean, it's, it's a generationally and, uh, mm -hmm. and and you see part of yourself in James, sometimes good. Sometimes, <laughs> oh, where did he get that from? You know, but, um, you know, uh, Covey said we ought to live, love, learn, and leave a legacy. And I, and I think being a grandparent partly is, as part of that legacy. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that, that it makes us who we are. I, it, 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 I, I, think, I think we become hopefully a better person, a better coach um, because of that human connection, because of that gratitude. Um, 
uh, yeah, I, I, okay. I, 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 I absolutely, I put that first and foremost, um, you know, Jim Knight interviewed me about a month ago and he said, but he asked me the same, what we're talking about. I, I said, I'm grandpa and, uh, with an exclamation point, you know, so, mm -hmm. uh, Many blessings to your grandchild. You've got a wonderful journey ahead of you. Oh, wonderful. Good. I can't wait to hear more about that journey as it unfolds. Yes. Thank you. And actually, it's three. My daughter had twins in September, and my son and daughter-in-law had a daughter. So I have three in Oct at the end of October. So five weeks apart, I became a grandparent from three. Yes. So Many talk blessings. about multiple blessings. Yes. We are very unexpected. So, um, so yes, yeah, it has been a journey and you're right, Jim. It's just, uh, it's so different than being a parent, but, um, I'm not sure how it has been with you, but it certainly made me, um, help me be closer to my own children too. It's a different relationship. Um, a different understanding between us. So uh, this this has been terrific. And, uh, you know, I hate, hate to sort of wind down and come toward the end. Uh, Jim, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about or mention um, before we, we sort of finish this episode? Well, one thing, but I want to make sure that I look in the face because Martin Seligman said a, a, a smile and eye contact are two essential ingredients of, of sense of belonging, a heartfelt, heartfelt, uh, I, I, your book, folks, your, Eileen's book, go buy it. Go buy, get out oh, there. Thank and, you, Jim. Get out there on Amazon. I hope you have an international conference sooner rather than later on this idea. But you talk about welcoming students. You talk mm. about meeting them at the door. You talk about not being at your desk, but being out there. Eileen, I, I second that emotion. I, I second, I taught 15 years at the college level and you can go back and ask my college students. I, I shook their hands at the door, greeted them at the door. I know we're in a cold post COVID, so that may, that may change. But let me, I hired five assistant principals and I got down to the final three and for a finalist interview with me, finally. And here's one question I ask each and every one of them. I said, do you have a warm winter coat? And they go. I know where you're going with this and I love it. Yes. And, 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 and one, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and they said, no. I said, well, you need to get one if you get hired because every day you will be joining me outside every day when love the buses it. come in, greeting students off the bus, saying hi. And every day you will be joining me at the end of the day outside saying goodbye to children because that's not adjunct. That's not tangential. It's who we are. And, and so I, I love that, Eileen, because then when these assistant principals became principals or superintendents, they, they said this to their principals. We need to be outside. We need to be outside greeting children. Greeting, yes. overtly greeting children, saying hello. If yes. somebody's crying, we don't just say, well, that's too bad. They must say, they, we kind of figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. Or if a child comes up and shares something with us, uh, uh, an assignment or whatever. I mean, that's who we're there for. That's, yeah. that's what, we, those are, the, the Heath brothers talked about the power of moments. Mm -hmm. Aren't those very significant powerful moments in our life when we do things like that 
Greek kids off of a bike? Well, for sure. Because before you even walk into the building, you're feeling this warmth and connection and relationship with the people who you're going to be with for the rest of the day, you know, for, for eight hours of the day. And if you don't feel that way, you know, and also you get off the bus and something was happening at home and, and you were feeling really, or you, you know, you just didn't like your breakfast or whatever it was, but somebody greets you at the door before you even go into the school. And it just, it has to change, you know, how you feel. And like you said, somebody's crying or you can tell because you see them every day, you can tell the look on your fa their face is different than it was in the past three weeks. And you know, something's up and you're able to pull, you know, sort of stop them or, or pull them aside or, or check in on them later on to make sure they're okay. It's, it's all that part of, of creating relationships. I love it, but I love the way you, you know, you sort of got into it by, do you have that warm winter coat? Yeah, of course you were, you know, you're in the, in the Northeast, so you need that warm winter coat. But now with climate change, I think everybody probably needs a warm, warm winter coat and, uh, you know, some kind of real summer clothes too. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. It's crazy, Aileen. I, yeah. I want to thank you before we go. Another word of thanks. You know, um, I, I am grateful for not only this time, but absolutely this conversation. I hope we can talk again one day. I but hope so I, too. Yeah, in real life. That would be wonderful since we, we sort of uh, usually fairly close to each other, just about an hour, hour and a half from each other when I visit my mom and my sister in Buffalo. But yeah, and, and thank you so much for reaching out on, uh, on social media and contacting me because uh, this, uh, you know, I wouldn't miss this connection for the world. So thank you. So uh, for others who want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? Well, <clears throat> I'm an old guy, but I am on Twitter. I am on Twitter. Um, uh, I am, I, I, I got on Twitter in 2008, my graduate students from Medi were mostly Canadian students said, you gotta, you gotta get on this thing. And, and mm -hmm. I did, so I forgot totally about it until 2016. So I got a really good Twitter handle in 2008. It's school guy, one word, school guy, S-C-H-O-O-L-G-U-Y. A lot of people say, how'd you get that? How'd you get that? And so I'm, I'm on Twitter, follow me on Twitter. Um, I, I got to put a plug in for Dr. Jim Knight, uh, who is, uh, I think, the GOAT of uh, instructional mm -hmm. coaching. He has a TLC sure. conference in Orlando. I'm going to be presenting uh, oh, in awesome. Orlando. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking about instructional coaching, and we're also talking about taking the, the content from Dr. Zaretta Hammond, culturally mm -hmm. responsive teaching, and how we help make that come alive with video coaching. Um, Dr. Casey Kozorek, again, the superintendent mm -hmm. at Hilton is a trailblazer in this field. Uh, we're doing, but school guys, a good place to find me on Twitter. And, um, uh, again, uh, Eileen, your work on a sense of belonging is, is so important. So important. Thank you. Thank you so much for making sure that this is on the table and that we really, we, we, we start looking at it more and more. That's great. And um, thank you so much for thanking me. Um, I thank you because this has been a, a wonderful experience and I'm sure our, our listeners is go are going to be really, really um, excited about learning more about your work and uh, about your life. So thank you very much, Jim, for being on the podcast today. Thank you. <laughs>